How you doing, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Ready to Record from Blue Girl Studios, proudly sponsored by VFX Unleashed, powered by Amarillo College and SimCorp Productions. My name is Daniel the D3 Cohen, I'm your host, and I'm speaking to you from Blue Girl Productions' worldwide headquarters and studios here in my garage. I'm a 20-year-old aspiring musician, engineer, and producer, and like many of you guys, I make music out of my own home studio. You know, some of today's biggest hitmakers work from home studios, so maybe we can help one of you accomplish your big dreams. Now, before we get into the episode, I want to talk about our sponsor, VFX Unleashed, powered by Amarillo College and SEMCOR Productions. VFX Unleashed is a complete accredited online VFX school where you can learn how to have a career in the visual effects industry in classes taught by industry professionals. There are programs in all major aspects of VFX production and software, including Photoshop, After Effects, Maya, Nuke, Cinema 4D, and many more. Online, fully remote classes start every eight weeks, and a full VFX studio within Amarillo College's Innovation Outpost will open next year, which will have a state-of-the-art soundstage and motion capture studio. You can check out all that VFX Unleashed has to offer and enroll today at vfxunleashed.com. Thank you to VFX Unleashed and Semcor for being our very first sponsor. We are proud to have you. Now, let's get into the show. Today on the show, we have Adam Amps builder, Adam Eggert. Having grown up in New York, Adam Eggert was, like many of his peers, captivated and inspired by the jam band scene of the 1980s in New York City. Having broken into it as a bit of an amateur sound engineer and then eventually leaving before the height of the jam band era, Adam found himself a newly minted electrical engineer with no real projects on his bench. Thus came the birth of the Adam Amp out of a need for a project mixed with a newly formed band with some old friends. This has led to now nearly 20 years of incredible sounding amplifiers that are revered for classic tones with modern twists. Right now we're going to talk about everything leading up to how the Atom Amps started coming and what goes into building an Atom Amp. So here is part one with Adam Eggert. Enjoy. Mr. Adam Eggert, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a joy to be here. Well, it's a joy to have you. Now, uh, prior to... Uh, record. We were talking about uh, <laughs> failing technology, and uh, obviously we are both rather technical people. You are the builder of the famed Atom Amps of the uh, of of the jam band era and beyond. Um, and uh, sitting here as a former uh, amplifier technician's apprentice, I'm I'm definitely intrigued. What what got you into that whole scene of building? And, and just tinkering uh, in general. Yeah, you know, it's, um, how much time you got? So, <laughs> you know, um, it's an interesting story. You know, I, I was doing, like, I want to say, and I'm putting up my fingers because we don't have video here, you to see me with my pasties and G-string with tassels. Um, <laughs> um, I'm putting up fingers and doing, like, quotation marks around this. It's like, you know, I was mm -hmm. like, I, I was like a sound man. Quotations right. for a little band that um, really didn't go where we all thought it was going to go, truthfully, and it's still 
in in the you know, I guess in the annals of the jam band world, and for the people who were around in the beginning, it, it's it's pretty you know famous and somewhat infamous band called Dreamspeak, which you might have heard of. Um, <laughs> and you know, I was uh, chosen. I don't know why, because I was interested, and because I thought I knew what I was doing, that I could be a sound man and for the band, and which became pretty evident quickly when working with um, the keyboardist, Avram Levinsky, um, who had some understanding about the sound technology, um, that I had no idea what I was doing and had no concept of what a resistor was, um, you know, impedance, you know, anything. And, um, you know, I was able to sort of turn some knobs and knobs and dials and make it sound okay, but for the rudimentary gear that we were working with, you know, it was, uh, I think it, mo most anybody who a trained rat could do it after a period of time, you know? Um, and, you know, so I was intrigued about that then. And then, you know, uh, a really seasoned uh, sound man came aboard and I got to work with him a little bit, and, you know, Kenny and, and um, watching and seeing what that was even made it more mysterious to me. For somebody who dropped out of math in 10th grade, you know, um, <laughs> to pursue photography, right? Um, and, uh, you know, it was fun. And then, you know, sort of life sort of hit me in the face. And I sort of left the jam band um, world, you know, really early on, you know, um, before it really started blooming, you know, before wetlands and everything started really happening. It was just right, opening right. up, you know. And, um, so you know, I went out and, you know, left that and realized sort of quickly that based on my lifestyle, that if I didn't sort of do something with my life, I would probably no longer be alive, <laughs> you know? So out of pure unadulterated fear of death, I went back to school and, um, you know, not having any idea of what I would do with my life, you know, I just sort of grabbed on the only opportunity that I believed was available to me, which was a family business that my grandfather started in 1936, um, and which was a manufacturer's rep company selling electronic components mm -hmm. into OEM, which is original equipment manufacturers, for those of you who don't know that, um, uh, you know, selling as a hired gun sales force in a territory, selling these little bits and pieces of systems that go into bigger systems into the military complex that was still sort of going on in the New York metropolitan area and the medical industry. And um, to, to really come to work in the organization and be a sales guy for that world, they, they really felt like you needed to be an electrical engineer because you were talking to electrical engineers all the time. And, you know, I picked up this belief that this was all I could do. If I didn't do it. I was going to be dead. So I went back to school at night for electrical engineering. This is somebody who bailed out of math in 10th grade. <laughs> and just really through sheer determination and, and sort of belief that the hellhounds were chasing me really hard and actually leaving scars, um, that I, would, um, I was going to do this regardless. So the first math classes, I would go reside in the math labs and you know, really 
shut down everything and, and closed off really most of the relationships that I had. I didn't see anybody. I just sort of went back to school to do this. And by the time I was graduating, you know, I had a minor in math. I was tutoring in the math um, lab and, you know, um, I got an electrical engineering degree and had never, but was using it really just to go into, to become a sales engineer, really, you know, the dark side, not really on a bench. Right. So I never really used the stuff that I learned. I sort of just learned it so that I could get through it. Right. And then have some rudimentary conversation with somebody who was, you know, really adept and adroit at um, um, engineering and design and, and, and to be able to at least communicate um, why the shit I had, excuse me, if this is, you know, oh, it's all bad word, you know, the shit that I had was the best shit to use in his stuff, you know, so that was, that was the, the mode of it. So once it sort of settled into me, you know, working um, in, uh, you know, sales, I really didn't do any engineering. So at a certain point in time, um, you know, of course, you know, boys with toys and all that kind of thing, I got interested in audio in general. Um, and started down the path of, uh, you know, getting involved in transferring audio tapes and stuff from, mm -hmm. you know, the, the jam band era, you know, sort of taking all of the audio, the analog audio, reel-to-reels and, and, and more, more, more likely cassettes and, you know, sort of bringing them to the public domain by transferring them, um, editing them, mastering them. And a buddy of mine who we, I met online um, through one of those crazy forum arguments with a bunch of other people who thought they knew what they were doing, brought up some just rudimentary concepts, wondering why they weren't doing things in a certain way. And then, you know, sort of helped define the way tape transfer is sort of done still to this day. So if you look at the the text files along with all the stuff you could download on any one of these download sites for you know Grateful Dead audio or any of the audio that's being done much of the lineage of that stuff and the way that it's accomplished come came from what was defined in this argument in this thread that I sort of put out there and we put it into practice and what we did sounded so much better than anything else that was there that we sort of gotten a little well name of it it was a, a project called the MOTB project mouth of the beast so we got that done and and then you know of course moving on to bigger and greater things and wanting to spend less time down in the basement um i hooked up with uh old friends from the from the dreamspeak days I, I don't know if you know you know uh alex rudbeck I know, uh, alex. I know i know his name more than his than i than i know him actually no that's a lie i'm i i apologize uh i so <laughs> Um, one of, one of my, you probably, I, why his last name is escaping me, Sean something, um, he married a woman named Sarah Davis, who my right. mother, who my mother worked with his father. Um, and he went to school with, uh, with Alex. And so we went to a party and hung out with Alex and, uh, Half the time, people were calling him Patrick. Uh huh. Yes. They're, yes. They're, they they've known him 
uh, for that for long enough where they call him Patrick, and then there's the the group of friends that know him as Alex. Um, yeah, I ended up on a uh, on a kayak with him in in the San Francisco Bay. <laughs> oh, that must have been interesting. Yeah, we uh, he had you cornered. Oh well, you know it. It was funny. We caught a uh, we, we we. I think we may have uh, gotten on the uh, San Francisco Giants Bay Cam. Uh, you know, because guys in kayaks and canoes will go out there and and watch games from outside. Right. Uh, yeah. Listen, sure. Or definitely. Listen to the games from outside. I think you remember him telling me the story. By the way, I it, it's sitting. I don't right. have an exact memory of it, but I have I have some re- recollection of something like this. Go on. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, um, that that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I went and sat in a kayak with Billy's kid. We caught a Giants game. We didn't catch any balls, though. Yeah, exactly, right, something like that. Sounds perfect. Yeah, so you're talking about Sean O'Brien, right? Yeah. And yes, they went to school together. They, uh, both from Seacliff. I, I actually live in Seacliff now, so I live in that town. Actually, I we go on regular strolls passing the house that Alex lived in, and then the apartment that Alex lived in is literally a half a block down the block from mine. So funny. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So Alex had started up a band with his uh, then wife, Jen, called Jen Band. The lead guitarist was a guy named Willie Bonham. <laughs> yeah. Right. Lead guitarist of Dream Speak for. Lead guitarist of Dream Speak. A number and, of years. And um, then there was a drummer, Tom Kalen, who was playing drums at the time. Also drummer um, of Dream Speak. Also drummer of Dream Speak, right? And they were uh, they were playing and having some fun. And I had picked up a, the harp, like mm-hmm. you know the blues harp. You know, I, I play guitar. I you know, by no means am I a uh, very dynamic or um, uh, creative player. You know, I'm a mimic, and I enjoy playing what I play. It's just not something that I've really put my focus on. Um, sure, if I did, it would be something different. Just has never really been. So I picked up the harmonica, started playing it in the car while I was driving between all these sales calls, mm-hmm. marketing back to my actual business. Um, and I started like playing some blues harp. And they were playing, and they wanted me to come up. And um, I, I hooked up with Alex again. He's like, "Why don't you come on up? It's great, great, great." But what are you doing? We got through it. He said, well, you play harp. Why don't you come play a song or two with us? Great, sure. Went up there and played with them at a gig, and I had never really played in front of anybody, and it was a lot of fun. And then they sort of adopted me into the band, and I was in the band. So I needed to amplify myself. So, you know, I started looking at harp amps, right? Like to buy one. And looping the long winded back to how did I get into building amplifiers? Here it comes, folks. Drum roll. Um, <laughs> I needed. I. I, I I, I needed a rig, right? So, um, right. And, and I had this idea that, you know, I've always been a guy about sound and, you know, I've always been able to notice tone in things. This is sort of where my sauce is, right? It's really being able to identify a certain sound and what I liked about it, the way it made me feel, you know, where it reverberated within my, my essence. Sure, for lack of a better sure. word, and um, I I looked out at these hard harp amps, and they were like twenty five hundred dollars and three grand, and you know, like I was already spending way too much money, smoking like ten cigars a day, and going nuts. And my wife at the time, um, 
would not have looked kindly on me spending that kind of money. And I needed a project, right? So I was like, hey, I'm an engineer. Let me start researching. You know, we were on the interweb, interwebs and the web was up. Not so crazy, but I found like all these different kits and all these different things. And I'm like, wait a minute. I started looking at it. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty easy to solder together. A really sure. simple okay. amplifier. And I'm like, I need a small amp. And, and in reading everything about harp amps, you know, I really, an eight inch speaker is perfect. You know, mm-hmm. wiring it out of phase is another great thing to do, but reduces the amount of feedback you have when you're standing in front of it. And, and then I'm like, you know, all these guys were using these tweed amps. So it's like, let me, let me build a little tweed champ, you know, see what it's like. Right. 5F1 of some kind, right? Right, exactly. And I sat down and I started copying, you know, just making my first amp, you know, I went out and I bought from Mojo. I bought, you know, this and I bought that. And because we had this, my business and we were doing, you know, resale of stuff. I used my resale certificates to do all this. So I got accounts with all these different, you know, suppliers. And I was buying things at wholesale, right? And Fantastic. so I bought and built my first amp. And I built it for myself. And I was like, you know, I play guitar. So let me make it not only that it would work with a, a guitar, I mean, a harp and a mic. Let me just do it so that I could have some switches to change things around so that you know, it would work with my guitar. So I'd have a guitar amp to play, you know, mm-hmm. if I wanted to do that. And then um, it sounded really good. <laughs> you know, really good. And, you know, I just paid attention to certain details. You know, it, what's really interesting in this amp world, you know, you know, like you, you, you know, you start over the beginning, talk about me being some, you know, expert in amplifiers from, you know, the, the jam band world. And I'm not going to, I'm not discounting myself of what I can do or anything like that. But at the end of the day, you know, everything comes out of the RCA tube manual, right? It's all the same shit. Everybody's really building some subset of the same stuff. And what really separates, you know, what is actually really amazing you know, implementation of something versus, you know, something that's, you know, it's just okay and it works is, you know, a lot of it has to do with just simple basic knowledge about, you know, how you're balancing things, you know, how you're setting up the amplifier. Just because right. the, 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 just because the schematic or the layout diagram, if you're building from one, says, you know, use this component. When you read the components, the, the, these things from back in the day, everything's plus or minus 20%. You know what I mean? Like, yep. It's a pretty large, that means like you could have a 40% swing and still be okay, right? And 40% is a hell of a lot, right? And what really it turns out is, is that there's a sweet spot in things. And, you know, if you're a player and if you played a lot of different things, you know, let's say you played a, a deluxe reverb, right? Mm-hmm. You could take, 15 deluxe reverbs, put them all out there and you can play them. And you know something? There's going to be the one that stands out. You know what right. I mean? The one you're just like, what the fuck is this? Oh my God, this is heaven. What is it? Right? And having some relative understanding, and it's not even rocket science. You know what I mean? It could just be told to people too. It's just having some relative understanding of what you should be shoot, what one could be shooting for. And then what components to really use? Because they really matter. You know, it's not just about when it says there's a 
when it says there's a, you know, uh, 100K resistor, you know, in, in a power supply dropping resistor down to a plate in V1 or V2 or whatever it is that you're looking at on one of these diagrams, just because it says it's that, there's other sh stuff that goes into this to really make it right. Yeah. You know, um, reduce the amount of noise that's there, make it hold on for a long period of time. Just realize those things are also, you know, they're wear items. They should be changed. Just because you get an amp from the 60s and it's all original doesn't mean you should leave it all original. Those well, the, fir those the, the first thing that, you know, I, when I was an apprentice at a, at an, at a tech shop, one of the first things that would that would happen you know guys would come in for tube and tunes on their recently purchased unmolested from the first owner blackface uh fender head or fender combo you know deluxe reverbs tweet uh twins supers dual showmans bandmasters basements you know the whole nine yards you get out you'd get them all um and the first thing that that uh my mentor and i would often do you know screw the screw checking the bias screw checking all of it pull pull the amp out of the out of the head and check and make sure that the filter caps aren't bulging because those are the first th things that need to go and then after that we'd check the vibrato on on most of those amplifiers because half of them needed to be blueprinted anyway so yes i i completely understand and agree well right and depending what what er you know what era a fender amp you're talking about they either did things really well or they did things really crappy. You know what I mean? Like, right. You know, lead dreads, you know, the wires that they used, you know, the boards themselves rotting and like causing noise. It was just a lot, you know, it's just a lot there. And at the end of the day, yes, you're right about the filter caps, but you're, but you also need that those, those hundred K resistors take a tremendous beating. Well, yeah, because there's the a four seven power that goes through them. Yeah. You know, and like, um, you know, uh, you know, all, all the resistors in, you know, in the signal path that are going over, you know, your power tubes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're taking heat, they're taking heat like nobody's business, you know. Um, really, everybody, the, every one of the uh, aluminum electrolytics need to be, you know, over a period of time. Now, mm -hmm. the, the interesting yeah. thing is the more you use it, the less you have to change it. Yeah, which is why the unmolested ones usually need changing. Or if, but if it was used every single week and every single day, I've seen plenty of them that are still doing well. Now, right. shit tends to drift, right? Stuff tends to drift. It does. You know, like if you're looking at in its old tweet amplifiers and those old Astrons, you know, those, those you know, coupling capacitors can drift mm -hmm. over time. But everyone wants to see them there and, you know, God knows when the amplifier is costing five grand, you don't want to screw around with it, right? That's why it's great to have that amplifier, put it in a studio or keep it at home, whatever, but, you know, build your own, which is, you know, sort of looping back into the discussion. You know, I, I got to the point where I was, you know, pretty, I, I tuned this, this, you know, the champ to the point where it was, you know, it was rock solid. And then a couple of friends were playing local, grabbed it, and they wanted to, you know, to uh, record with it, mm -hmm. you know. And then, you know, I, I said, oh, that's fun. Let me build another amp, right? So 
then I build myself. Okay, what's the next amp you build from a champ, right? Five e three, right? Right. Five e three. From from a five f one, you go five e three, and then what? After that, you'd go five f six. Well, there's a you could do that. Um, I started jumping in a bunch of different directions after that. But but the point is, I built one for myself, and right. it, and again, I went through the process of, you know. When I built it, I built it. I had decade boxes everywhere. And I started, you know, really dialing things in in the power supply so that, you know, the voltages met things that biased the tubes, even in the pre-section, in a way that, you know, made it sweet, right? And mm -hmm. it was, you know, it was one of those 5E3s. And, you know, and I'm, I, one of the things I also do is I... There are certain things that make this stuff sound great because it's a sum of all of its parts. And a lot of it is, you know, some of all of its ticks as well, right? Um, yeah. You know, so I would, t I, I said to myself, well, why am I going to go out and buy a reissue Jensen, you know, for the 5B3? Why am I going out and buying a, you know, a, you know, P12Q mm -hmm. reissue, right? Right. I mean, I'm on eBay and it's like they're breaking apart all these old tone cabinets and there's like P12Ns and P12Qs from the 50s that are pretty straight. No rubs, you know, and at the time you could pick them up cheap. I just started buying them. I, mean, I bought a bunch of them. <laughs> and, you know, I had like five, six up in the rafters in my warehouse. And like when I build an amplifier, that's what people got. That's what I got. Mm -hmm. You right. know, and I will tell you. <laughs> There's a little bit of a difference. <laughs> I don't care what Jensen says. Don't get me wrong. Those speakers that they make today are great speakers, but they're not the same speaker. No, no. They're not. No means. Well, and, and the other thing is they're not broken in the same way that they were broken in 50, 60, 70 years ago. But you can break them in. You see, because if I get the right cone kit for those things and you recone mm. them and you break them in, they sound the same. You know, it's True. really, it's really, you know, the gaps are different. The wire they use, you know, um, not only the wire, but the magnets are different. Everything about it, the gaps are slightly different. It's not exactly the same. I mean, I believe those speakers are made in Italy. Don't get me wrong. I bet you they're done to metric. They're not done to, to you know, American inches and stuff like that. So, you know, I don't know, Mills, you know, I, I don't know what the spec is on them, but I would venture a guess that, you know, things are, are off a little bit. Sure, um, sure. And then, you know, really it was trial and error and talking to, you know, a bunch of different people, you know, um, you know, listen, I didn't do this on my own, you know, like I leaned on the, the internet a shit ton, right. Um, to sort of learn a lot, you know, I will tell you, like, I, I, I drank up the, you know, the Rob Robinette, Robinet, however he pronounces his name. <laughs> Site right, online, right. you know, and I still refer to. I use I use his calculators. Actually, the funny thing is, his site went down like a week ago or two weeks ago, and people were freaking out. The world was going nuts. Like, you know, this is some guy who just puts up the stuff for free, and everybody's using it. You know, it's so. The point is, you know, the who has that line? You know, it's like I wrote the same old song with a different line. You know, mm -hmm. it's just everybody's leaning on everybody else. It's it's, it's like you know, there's a lot. Everybody's helping everybody else too. There's a bunch of great forums out there, you know. So I learned a tremendous amount. Um, and then I started doing slight design, you know, 
you know, inside that, changing certain things up a little bit, you know, um, and came up with the next amp. So the next thing was this, you know, I had a friend, Chris Malloy, who is an unbelievable guitar player, um, unsung, and people don't really know him much unless you're around here because he's not really playing much anymore. Um, but a singer, one of the great singers, background singers, um, you know the infamous String Dusters? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, Andy Falco is his first cousin. So they really? have bands together. Yeah, no, they've all been playing together forever. And Chris, he, Andy brought him down to Nashville to sing backup. I mean, he's Chris is off the charts. Really, really good. And unbelievable sensibilities in his voice and in his guitar playing. You know, like if I compare him to anybody, it's like Bloomfield. Really, and listening to Andy, and if Andy's going to listen to this, I'm sorry. But listening to Andy and, 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 and Chris playing next to each other, there are times where I'm like, Andy, I don't know, Chris is, you know, it's like it's tough, you know, for me. And, you know, maybe a little bit of that is the way I love Chris, his brother. But he has this, doesn't play too many notes, but what he plays, boy, it's unreal. And he, want, he loved my aunt's. But he needed something to gig with. Mm-hmm. And he wanted the tweed. But, you know, when you're playing along side, people are playing through deluxe reverbs, you know, and stuff like that. 5B3 is not going to really cut it on the stage. You know what I mean? And if it does, you really only have one tone and you're going to sound like Neil. You know what I mean? It's just going to be blowing over. Right. Um, blowing out. So I'm like, you know what? I think I have an idea. I'm going to build one for myself. You play it. Tell me if you like it. And if you like it, I'll build you. So um, I built what would be, in my estimations, the 5F3. Right? What would have been the next iteration of that if they did it in 1960? Right. 1959, right? Which they didn't. They just continued going. I went to stretch directly into the brown face world with the deluxe, right? Yeah. So basically, I uh, fixed bias. I took the front end of a 5v3, which I had knew how to dial in, right? Right. Changed out power supply. Changed out the. Changed out the, um, you know, all the iron in it, you know stabilize a little bit, put a choke in place, you know, did a bunch of things that sort of biased it so it was running somewhere around 20 watts, which would really work, right? Right, and that put it, that puts it comparable to the deluxes of the brown face and the black face era. Um, yeah, 20, sort, of, sort of, so, sort of so, were, except... What, they were except, 22, right? I'm sorry? The wattage was 22 RMS? Well, yeah, on a deluxe reverb, it's about 22 watts. Um. I biased it a little bit cooler, um, just a little bit. But you have to realize, just because it says 22 watts, man, Doesn't you, mean again, you take them all out, you put them on an RMS meter, and you start running a tone through them at the point right before they break up, and you take a look at what, and you calculate out what, what you're dissipating, what your plate dissipation is. At the end of the day, it's all over the place. You can have a 19 watt or you can have a 23 watt. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, they're really all over this, but I sort of found this sort of sweet spot and certain tube numbers that I like for the output tube, you know, how much mm-hmm. current they drew, you know, and where they sat so that they could be a little bit, so I could make it sing yet still be, the tube life would be a little bit better, right? Sure. And, um, and then, you know, 
I also changed the power supply up. You know, so that it was much tighter on the low end than, you know, that. So you could, I'm going to start throwing around labels and it's just a good placeholder, but it's not the real tone because it doesn't sound like that. But sort of the way the Marshall holds together a little bit better on the low end than, mm -hmm. you know, those tweeds would, right? Even though they were very similar circuits. Well, the, the, the original Marshall amplifier was just a lift of the 5F6 that was yeah, exactly. with, yeah, with a 100%. Mod slightly modified power section. Yeah, exactly. Net -net. So, mm -hmm. so that amp, you know, had, had a lot more filtering, right? It was tighter. Yeah. Um, pretty much to the, the full deepest that I could sort of get out of, uh, you know, an AR, 5AR4, right? About as far as I could go with it. And it, I did leave, I mean, there was a thought process of putting a switch in for this amp. And, and really, as I'm talking to you, probably the next one I build at some point, if I ever do build another one of these, we'll get this, a switch to sort of go between um, solid state and to um, rectification. But, but the, the amp had, you know, a, a tube rectifier in it. And um, so I got that down and then, you know, started really playing around with the speakers that would work in that. And originally started out with a, an original, um, you know, P12N mm -hmm. in there and settled on, um, something that I got from Mojo, which was sort of like the first copy of, you know, like, uh, a greenback that they had because right. I find that uh, depending on what, how you play and what you play that in those fixed bias, two octal out fender amplifiers with 112, okay, let's just say it in a deluxe reverb or, mm -hmm. you know, if you modify a Princeton reverb, the, you know, uh, you know, it sounds pretty good with a Celestion. Um, mm -hmm. it yeah. really does, you know, things, things, things become a little bit less squirrely yet. They can get there if you really want to. Um, although these days, um, I love the JBLs and these things. That's what I put in mo most of these amps, but, but in this amp, um, we put in, you know, this Mojo greenback and you know, Chris started using it and just loved it. You know, um, we built, built it for him and he really loved it. And, you know, sort of pat myself on, if I pat myself on the back on anything with this stuff, is that Chris has had this amp for, I don't know, 15 years, and it hasn't mm -hmm. needed service once. <laughs> it's great. Like, makes me very happy not to have to open up an amplifier and fix them. <laughs> right. So, 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 so that's that. He uses an external um, reverb box. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that. So that was the next step in it all. And then from, you know, and all the while, you know, actually early on, I actually should step back for a second. It became interesting to me that I built this thing, right? So I started selling amp kits right. for a while. Um, and I had, I started working with Nick at, you know, do you know Sierra Tone, Sierra Tone amps? The name vaguely sounds familiar, but I haven't. I mean, these days the he's one of, as, as it comes to buying a kit or buying, a pre-made 
Dumble clone these days. Mm-hmm. He's one of the go-tos. So gotcha, he's in gotcha. Malaysia. And I, I found him, you know, 15 years ago. And we started talking and he started building up my kits for me to sell because I wasn't going to just make them. It was my foray mm-hmm. into doing something like that. Um, and we were selling, you know, 5e3 kits for people to build and also, um, you know, uh, you know, the Marshall stuff. And we, I did that for a short period of time and then just sort of dropped that completely. It was just, uh, more of a headache than anything was, was worth. Um, yeah. I guess if I knew, cause you know, I was, I was always back to the beginning. Like I was always working full time as sales guy, you know, mm-hmm. and this has always been a side gig for me. Um, still is. You know, it's not something I've thrown all my focus into because the joy, you know, the joy I get from this is not building an amplifier and just selling an amp. That's not where my interest is. Okay. Yes, I like figuring things out. And yeah, I could talk. I'd like talking, you know, I'm having fun talking to you about this. Right. So this, this, this is fun. Right. Um, But the joy for me, is working with a specific player and identifying where there's something amiss in whatever it is for them, whether it's, you know, the tone that they're getting, because you know, man, I mean, gas, gas is a bitch. You know, yes. For those of yes, you who don't know what really that is. is, for those of you who don't know what gas is, is gear acquisition gear syndrome. Acquisition okay. syndrome. Yeah, right. exactly. It's it's a real bitch. So, you know, people spend a tremendous amount of money chasing a bunch of different stuff, and the reality is, they just buy stuff they don't know what works. They have no clue. Yeah. They just don't, and they might actually have the best thing in the world in their hands, but they're never going to see it because they're so confused over how many things they have to choose from that they can never tell where it is. It's sort of like when you open up an amp that's broken, how do you figure out what to fix, right? You know, you got to go through steps, this process, but there's so many different places for stuff to go wrong that unless you have a tremendous amount of experience or you really know what you're looking for, or you fix this amp 30 times, right? This kind of amp 30 times, you know that this shit goes every single time. You go right to it. You know what it is, right? Um, unless right. you're in that mode, you know, um, and switching into a guitar player, unless you're in that mode, you know, which overdrive pedal really is the best pedal for you? And the real question is, do you, should you really be using one? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like all those things. Um, so what I, what I have sort of been able to identify and where my joy is, where my special secret sauce is in it, it's really what I think. And I, I'm not going to say it separates me from anybody because I'm sure anybody can do this kind of stuff. And there's plenty of guys who do. It's just the thing that, you know, I see easily. You know, like the person, you know, the mathematician who can, like, you can give him the most complex problem in the world and say, what's the answer? And he just looks, stares up into the, he rolls his eyes in the back of his head stares up at the ceiling and he comes down with a number that it would have taken a computer a day to get. You know what I mean? Like when it comes 
it comes naturally to me in working with specific styles of players to help them bridge that gap. And a lot of that really is comes down to having the ability when they're standing on the stage to trust that when they reach for something, it's there. Right. That they're not actually in their head. Like I know when we were talking about this before, talking about being in our heads, right? Mm-hmm. That's the egoic pain point, man. If we're sitting there, creativity is 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 hard to come by, right? It's when we're free of that and in a flow state of trusting what's happening around us that one transcends and experiences that moment of pure bliss and you know loses oneself in the creative flow. So when you look at the kind of guys I work with or or I aspire to work with, um, it's these guys who are unbelievably dynamic players with hands of, you know, feathers and steel, right? Um, yeah. Who can milk and show the nuance within the most complex, most complex and um, varied systems, for lack of a better way. So I can listen to the way they play, experience their play, and see where their pain is, and then sort of throw out something to them. And not like overbearingly just make a recommendation. They have you ever thought about this? Right. And they're like, well, what's that? Well, here, let me give you this. You play with this. You tell me what you think. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, wait a minute. What's that? You right. know, like, you know, and that's what I do. So it's not like I'm a great bench guy. You know, I'm not selling myself short here, Daniel. I can build an amplifier, right? And I have a pretty good understanding of what's going on and what I'm playing with. But that's not my special sauce. I'm not. I'm not the amp tech you want to take on the road, right? Mm -hmm. Who's sitting there and you got four stacks of 15 different amplifiers. You got a whole bunch of backups and you got to keep them going. That's not my job. That's not where I reside. Like the guy, one of the guys who mentored me for many years, just I used to talk to who asked a couple of years ago, Richie Johnson, brilliant, brilliant guy. Just throw that out there. Mm. You know, Richie forgot, forgot more about the amplifiers that have been made in this world than I will ever know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, he's brilliant with that stuff. Yet, you know, what I do is probably just as interesting, yet in a different world altogether. Yes, we're, yet we're touching much of the same technology, right? So, wow. So, that's where my joy is. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, my, my stuff goes to pros and it stays with them. It's sitting on a back line and no one even knows that my stuff exists. Mm -hmm. like, I don't really have a name in the world of this stuff. There are some people who know me and some people who know the pros who are playing my stuff know me. Right. Or, 
you know, um, some of the people who are the devotees of that band, let's say, who like love this guy. No, because he's posted on his Instagram, we just got the new Adam Amps, blah, blah, blah. And they know me because I'm at the shows and, you know, because I'm a fan too, you know, and they know, but it's this really small little postage stamp of a subset, you know, and what's interesting is the work that I'm inspired for shows up for me when I'm inspired to do it. So I just sort of sit on a flow state and allow it to come. And when it comes, it's the right marriage. And if it doesn't come, I turn down more builds than I would ever build, than I could ever build. I really only focus in on working with people that fit, you know, where my, where my alignment is and where, and what brings me joy. You know, there's plenty of players that'll play my amps. Like I have like four amps that I've given to a great little bar here in Seacliff uh, called Still Partners. Shout out Dan Roth out there. And Dan's actually just, just lost his dad. So love you, Dan. Um, um, and people come in and the people who play there are fierce musicians. Um, a lot of amazing people come through this place. This little bar has music that you just couldn't imagine, right? And mm -hmm. they come in and they see the sample. What's this thing? Right? And they're like, they plug into it and invariably like, I got to talk to this guy. <laughs> what is, what the hell is this? got a comment from touring pro who was there like there's no place i've ever been that has a backline like this <laughs> like, he's like you know they're like that and then you know they talk to me and we start talking and i realize that no dude i'm not building for you you know and i don't say it in a bad way and it's not a bad thing it's just what you're looking to do is not my jam yeah you appreciate my ass but it's you know i'm not gonna roll my sleeves up for three weeks to build this for you because that's not where my joy is Right. I mean, I'm the CEO of a company, you know, doing data collection systems and, you know, mobility systems. That's, that's where I spend my day, right? This is my joy. So it's going to come from that space. That makes any sense. Um, oh, completely. One of the funny stories was, uh, do you know Scott Sherrard? I know of him more than I know him. Okay. You hear the band Little Feet? He's the new lead guitarist of Little Feet. So, gotcha. so Scott was playing out there. You know, I'm going to tell I, I actually said to myself, I wasn't going to mention anyone's name. All right, I'll tell this story, and then this will be it. Okay, Scott's an awesome guy, amazing player. Okay, um, and Dan, who's the owner of Still Partners, had a gig, and he's like, "Listen, Scott's coming in, and Scott's a well-known guy. It's a tiny place. It's like, look." I need somebody to mine the soundboard. It's really simple because it's a small place. We're not running any instruments through the board. It's just the vocals or whatever it is. Like, mm -hmm. would you come in and ride ride it? Make sure he's okay so that he can hear himself. Like, sure, of, co of course. Planning on going to see it anyway. So I went down there and it's like, he didn't have an amplifier. He was using the back line. He's like, well, what amplifier? I said, well, what's this? And basically what I had up there was one of the amps that I, which is pretty much my signature right now. Um, it's mm -hmm. a, 
I do it in two, you know, in a in two six v sixes and two six l sixes configuration, depending on what you want to use it for. But it's based on like the vibra verb. Oh, cool. And yeah, and it's my blueprinted version of vibra verb with a couple of little twi twitches and tweaks to it. Um, you know, with uh, um, with one fifteen, and I've got about ten of them. They're original D one thirty Fs that go in that. You know, so the sound of this amplifier is, I mean, if you're a tone guy, I don't know. This is it. I mean, anyone right. who's to it is like, holy shit. So I had it in a head cabinet there. Right. And I had had another uh, bottom that was there that had two of these Mojo greenbacks in it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I wasn't going to leave the 130s. He's at a bar. At a bar. You know, it's like not the way. But the cabinet had a problem. One of the connectors was busted. So I brought down my personal cabinet, which was like a hard trucker style cabinet that I built. Sure. That had two D130Fs in it. Right. So two 12 inch JBLs. Mm -hmm. So basically, guy who's idle is Dwayne Allman. Okay. It's coming down playing through D130Fs, okay, which is what Dwayne played through. And he's like, well, what is this thing? I go, oh, it's my little amp I built. He goes, you built this? Yeah, yeah. And I had like, at that time, I had like a, you know, just like a hand-painted faceplate on it. It looked like a rat's ass because I, <laughs> you, know, you know, it just really looked like a kludgy thing, you know, like, and he's like, what is this thing? I'm like, I said, listen, it's a pretty dynamic amplifier. And the speakers are really good. What speakers are in there? I go, they're original D130Fs. He's like, what? I go, yeah. He goes, oh. So he starts playing it and has an out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. Out-of-body. Loved it. This is off the hook. And, you know, he kept came up to me at the set break. He's like, dude, I've never played through anything like this. And I'm like, thank you. It means a lot because you sounded unbelievable. You know, and your hands are just your hands. You're one of those players. And he's like, listen, can you do me a favor? I'm like, what? He goes, I need to borrow this amp. I go, well, this is the amp I put here. It's this amp right here. And it's my personal one. So, you know, I, 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 I could talk to Dan. He goes, what do you need it for? He goes, tomorrow night we're playing at the Paramount. And it's my first night with Little Feet. I want to use it. Oh, wow. And I'm like, okay, I guess. Let me talk to Dan. If Dan doesn't have a gig that's going to use it because he's got three other amps. And Dan's like, yeah, no, no, we'll use one of the others. Go ahead. I'm like, thanks. Okay, sure. He's bring it down. Happened to be the night, that the day that Paul Barrere died. So the gig was a celebration of Paul's life, and he played through it. It was just it was a really tremendous experience for me to see that happening. You know, um, it was Halloween. You know, it's just really one of those special, special times. And he ripped it, you know, and that amplifier, you know, is sort of the bit, the bedrock of what I've been doing these days. Um, a lot of different little tweaks that happen in it, you know, a lot of different things that I do to it, depending on which player it is. I set it up differently, but you know, it's like I use, you know, V1, V2, V3, 
V4 and V5, V6, V7, and V8 <laughs> are all vintage tubes. You know, I don't use the knockoff crazy shit, except in like a trim circuit, really just a diode, right? Doesn't matter. And then, um, you know, I have a tremendous stash of old componentry. So I hand match and hand select all the resistors and they're all Allen Bradley carbon comps. I have everything from quarter, half, one, two watts, you know, um, you know, every amp is blueprinted so that at the out at every single point, it's humming exactly the way I want it to hum. Sure. Right. Um, and that's sort of like my, that's my deal. That's my special sauce. And I've, you know, I might, I might've handpicked myself into just a small little box yet. I love my box. You know, I'm really in a lot of joy around this, you know, um, there's a couple of new things that I'm thinking about. The issue is that, you know, I, I'm recently separated and divorced, um, sold the house. So my whole workshop, which was in the basement is like packed up in boxes. It's all in my storage unit, which I can get to stuff. And I have some stuff in the apartment, but it's really small. So it's like hard for me to break things out and actually just walk into a, have a bench because I don't have my bench set up anymore. Right. Um, my girlfriend, Christina and I are really, Christina and I are working towards, um, you know, looking at some space right now. We're trying to get into, get a space because she's a, a somatic artist and a, a coach. And we do some coaching, a little, doing a little coaching together and, um, we would both be able to have, you know, studios. She could have a studio. I can have my workshop um, mm -hmm. up again. So hopefully in sometime in the winter here, it'll be up and running again. But I have a couple of new things that I want to sort of play around with. And we'll see. There's um, a new amp that I'm sort of toying around with for one of the players that I built for. Um, I guess he would be okay with me mentioning his name. Um, because he posts me on Instagram, um, sort of respect that, you know, um, not for me to sort of talk out of school about people. Um, so I don't know, do you know, have you heard of, uh, J-Rad? Sounds familiar. I, the, I, Joe I Russo's so almost names. dead. Joe Russo's almost dead. Never heard of him? Ah, yeah, that I, I have. Okay, yeah, this is, you know, um, it's a pretty well-known jam band doing mostly Grateful Dead, but in their own way. Like, anyone who goes to see them, it's not like you're seeing the Grateful Dead. You're seeing sure. them, for sure. But they're playing a really incredible book. Um, just as a side note, it's, I have this theory that the Grateful Dead is now the new classical canon. <laughs> like you can't go anywhere without somebody playing a Grateful Dead song, right? Yeah, and, no, not anymore. No, you can't. And it's you know, for me it's getting a little annoying, but that's okay. But the point <laughs> is, there are so many people listening to it that it's the new music. And and you know, there are people who've been trying to recreate who recreate it and recreate it unbelievably well. Dark Star Orchestra, you know, these guys they play it. Like close your eyes and Jeff Matson. I mean it's like Jerry's there. You, you open your eyes. Um, 
Well, there we we got a guy. His name is um, Stu Allen, and he's yeah. He's short of, short of Dark Star. He's he's um, he gets close. He, oh no, he definitely. No, close. No. He's 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 right on. But when you see Jeff Matson and you squint your eyes, it's like Jerry's on the stage. It's sort of scary, <laughs> you know. But 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 all being said, all being said, you know, um, the music. The music's living and going on, and these guys are playing. So that's those guys. Um, so one of the members, Scott Metzger, um, uh, who sort of, you know, is one of the great dynamic players. If you want to hear Scott play, just look up the band Wolf. Wolf with an exclamation point. Hmm. And, ch- and check out Scott. He's, I mean, one of the, one of the greats. Dynamic player. You know, um, I mean, you know, he 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 could play like a Nash, an unbelievable Nashville player, um, and and you know, like Gypsy Swing, you know, and surf at the same time in a power trio. Pretty pretty killer stuff. Check out Wolf Scott, and I, I, he's got a few of my amps. He plays my amps, and um, we're working on a new thing where that goes um and that's i guess my next project but it really is just you know it's this thing for me is really just when it when it when it's right and when it happens did you enjoy this episode well I certainly hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to all of you. Special major big thank you to Mr. Adam Eggert for sharing so much of his time. Tune in next week. We're going to do part two with Adam Eggert. As always, there's going to be more gear to geek out on and more music to share with all of you. But for now, this is Daniel the D3 Cohen signing off from Blue Girl Productions Worldwide Headquarters and Studios right here in San Francisco, California. Ready to record.